welcome to the Squats and Science podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Science podcast episode 8. We're joined by a very special guest today, the king of squats and science, Mr. Jordan Burke. What's going on, Jordan? What's up, guys? How are you? It's good, uh, good to see your pretty faces. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to uh, just give yourself a little introduction, your name, what, what your uh, relation to the sport is, and just some background information? Sure. So... Yep, my name's Jordan. Um, uh, me and a guy named Nate, who maybe will one day be on the podcast, um, <laughs> dreamed up the name Squats and Science one day, created a logo in about 20 minutes, and then the rest is history. Um, my uh, my background is in engineering, and so I spend a lot of time building uh, velocity-based training tools. Um, opened a couple gyms in Brooklyn with these schmucks. Um, and, uh, and now... Um, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well, um, you know, doing, um, a lot of powerlifting stuff in the Brooklyn community, um, releasing rep one soon, uh, pre-orders just happened, went really well. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot of cool things. Cool. And, uh, Arian, what's been going on with you lately? Uh, you know, just traveling around. So the last place I was at was Colorado Springs for the USA powerlifting, uh, athlete training camp. So that was pretty fun. They had at first they had a um, open camp, and then right connected to that, um, right after it was a masters camp. So it was pretty cool working with those groups, doing some lectures, doing some hands-on stuff, um, and just like living on the campus, um, going to the cafeteria, all that kind of stuff like that. That all the uh, Olympic athletes do. And you did you have like um, like could you explore the whole facility, or did they like relegate you to a certain area? No, there, there are certain places that we can go at certain times. Like they had a, a recovery center, and you can go there, and they had all different types of recovery things you can do. They also had times where you can go to the pool and swim in the Olympic-sized pool and jacuzzi, steam room, sauna. Would you all- say that that was the nicest gym you've been to out of all the gyms? Uh, I mean, for just like a general lifting or general like strength and conditioning for like an athlete, you pretty much had everything you wanted there. As far as like the power racks um, and the Olympic platforms, Olympic bars, but then all kinds of different like um, cardio equipment for whether it's upper body, lower body, both. Um, they had ones where it was like zero gravity running for people that are injured, um, all kinds of stuff like that. Specific to like powerlifting, obviously we were lacking equipment in that they had like Olympic bars, they didn't have powerlifting bars, they also had the Olympic bumper plates, didn't have like the powerlifting metal plates. Um, so for like a powerlifter, it wouldn't be like the best powerlifting gym you went to, but just as an athlete, it was probably, uh, the best or one of the best. Yeah. It's a, it was a beautiful gym. I kept seeing, you know, the stuff you would post, the stuff Bryce Lewis would post. Um, it made me kind of sad as somebody who creates gym spaces because I don't think I'll be ever be able to make anything that crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it looked like a cool facility. Yeah, they went like all out with all little things of having every little piece of equipment, depending on whether someone from one of the sports or the Paralympics uh, lifters or athletes need. 
Um, even like their their dumbbells, they said, were like coated with something that made it antimicrobial so that people wouldn't get um, germs and sick as often. So they were like thinking of every little thing. They customized their dumbbells? or Yeah. Is it barbells, dumbbells? The dumbbells had some kind of uh, coating, some kind of metal or some kind of coating finish on it that um, – yeah, so it was it was pretty cool, and the uh, the dining hall since I know uh, you guys obviously like to eat had all kinds of food with all the macros and all the nutritional breakdown at the top whether you're vegan or vegetarian or or whatever lactose intolerant they had all the different things listed there for you and and they would custom make stuff when they had the chef there. They have nice cannolis. <laughs> I didn't see any cannolis there. Sorry, Joe get any pizza there yeah of course they had they had pizza um so i had to have some um that the chef made and they had all kinds of other stuff hot fudge friday i had that <laughs> <laughs> they had you know, ice cream machine dude hot <laughs> fudge friday <laughs> nice that's um that that was uh uh arian's nickname in college <laughs> jesus christ hot fudge friday. um we uh we have a chef here at squads and science so you know not going to try to brag or anything, but uh, but power plate, you know, we got Chef Gabby and sous chef Shane. So, yeah, yeah. Not, I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm trying to compare ourselves to the Olympic training facility, but you know, we got a chef too. World, <laughs> world, world class. Um, all right, so let's dive into it. We're going to be going over uh, longevity in the sport of powerlifting and longevity in uh, just weight training in general. Um, so I'm going to start with asking Jordan a few questions. Uh, when, when did you initially start lifting weights? Well, um, I mean, I, I first started, I first started lifting weights at all. Well, I first, it was the first type of exercise I ever did. Uh, my dad was big into lifting heavy things. And so I went to my neighborhood gym and we had, um, we had dumbbells, we had a free weight bench, um, nothing like a squat rack. Um, a cable machine and some cardio equipment. And so I'll go there. Um, and, uh, and that was pretty cool. Um, I was like, what, uh, 12-ish? Um, I, never really, I never really focused on I, – I always focused on lifting heavy, but it was like, you know, curling the heaviest dumbbell or like, you know, trying to do as much as I could on the, you know, pec deck. Um, and then when I got to high school – around sophomore year, um, I started doing, I guess, what could kind of be considered like a competition-style bench, um, and I, I realized I was good at it. I think sophomore year of high school, I hit like um, like a 275 bench. I got there pretty quick, um, and uh, and I, I gained some muscle pretty quickly. I think I, I, I probably put on like 30 pounds that year, um, and then... You know, I was wrestling. I was wrestling at the same time, so my body would go up and down. Junior year, I probably weighed um, 165. Senior year, I got up to like 175 pounds, um, mostly uh, benching and bodybuilding style training. And I would do. I remember, I, I deadlift a little bit in high school, um, mostly fo- focus on the glamour muscles. Essentially, zero squatting all throughout high school, none of it. Um, and then when I got to college, and I met Stephen Farisi. Um, and, and started, uh, the weightlifting club as when I first started, um, squatting, I actually started with knee wraps. Uh, so I was always doing knee wrap squats, um, competition style deadlifts and bench. And so it wasn't until my freshman year of college where I did 
legitimate squat bench deadlift. What what uh what initially just drew you into lifting? Like, was there like a like what was your primary motivation when you first started? It, it was it was it was my dad. So he he whenever he went to the gym, um, he had a real cynical look uh, on exercise, and I think I've probably adopted it subconsciously. Um, he was he was big into um, getting stronger in the practical aspects of of lifting weights. Um, he he really disliked the impractical aspects like the 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 vanity of it and he he did not care about that at all and so when we went to the gym he would have me always you know increase the weight always do more weight uh if i could you know nothing crazy it wasn't he wasn't like trying to to break me or anything like um you know this wasn't this wasn't early west side in boca raton florida Um, (laughs) but, but but you know, and it, and it was never powerlifting focused. It was it was like bodybuilding. It was like power building, purely bodybuilding style stuff, but like heavyweights. Right. Um, and then that's how I think, figured out I was actually kind of good at it because I would do more than my buddies could. Um, and then, and then you know, I guess I I when I this was back in so back in like 2006 2007. There was a guy at my gym, one guy in my gym who knew about USA powerlifting. I didn't even know what he was talking about back then. He just, I remember he sent me a link on, on Yahoo um, for a, a local powerlifting meet run by Robert Keller. Uh, and he told me I could, I could get the state bench record. And so I was like, all right, cool. And then for some reason it didn't, it didn't happen. And so um, I did my first meet in college. Um, that was a, your first meet was a non-sanctioned or it was a USAPL meet? Yeah, it was a non-sanctioned meet. Um, I actually hosted it. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was Arian's first meet as well, I think, right? Yeah. Was that FSU yeah. FSU meet? It, it was, was at, at It was at FAMU, yeah, for yeah. Agricultural and Mechanical University. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was at an HSBC next to Florida State, right next to each other. And so we did, like, a dual FAMU-FSU meet, and uh, it was super weird. Um, I had no idea how these meets were run, and I actually I was working with, with Zordos at the time, and a guy named uh, Caleb, and Caleb's now um, a PhD uh, professor at uh, East Tennessee State University. Uh, we still keep in, in touch, but um, I told Zordos my plans of, of hosting a powerlifting meet, and he goes, um, I'm going to send Caleb to help you out, because I had no idea what I was doing. We ended up, it was the same day as a football game, and I figured that if we didn't get done fast enough, then nobody would want to show up. Right. So. I set a really aggressive schedule. I said we were going to start at noon and end at like 2.30 or 3 or something. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> it, it was something like that. Or like we started at 8 and ended at, at 11. Something nuts. And so what, the, what we did was we had um, one squat platform, one bench platform, and one deadlift platform all set up. And so we had, had flights A, B, and C, and D, and we would just go through. Flight A would start squatting. When flight A was on squatting, Flight B would start squatting and flight A would start benching, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, flight C would start squatting, B would bench, A would deadlift. And so you had three platforms going simultaneously, and then they just did one lift each. Because I figured, you know, <laughs> I figured that was the most efficient way to get it done. Um, and it worked. We didn't have much time to warm up, um, and uh, but it worked, and, and we got the meat done in an incredibly short amount of time. But you can only really do something like that if you have if you can just like, you know, um, sanction a referee on the spot because we had like, you know, we had a, a dozen of those. Um, 
and spotters drew just whoever was around um and uh but yeah i would never do that again but that's what we did um so then when was your first usapl meet um i don't remember my first usapl meet uh <laughs> but it was probably shortly after that Aaron, do you remember february 2011 oh <laughs> shit look at that we uh we used the money you got from the school to like rent the minivans and the hotel rooms yeah. and go down to lakeland nice I remember the minivans, yeah. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're if you an RSO back then, a registered student organization, you can um, apply for funding. And so we got, yeah, we got like 700 bucks, I think, which was cool. And um, so we rented some, some minivans. We took a, like, a, I don't know, a dozen people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was, that was um, the, the, I remember that Lakeland meet. It was, a, it was a good meet. Another Robert Keller meet. Yeah. And before that, actually, um it was the the FSU gyms like once a year uh, bench competition we used to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, we did that. Those. I did a couple of those I think before my first. No, I I think I might have done one before the first real USA powerlifting meet. In fact, I remember I was going to do a meet just with Stephen um, Stephen Farisi, the the vice president of the club back then. I was going to do a meet just him and I, but it ended up being the same weekend as Molly's prom, my <laughs> now fiance, and so. <laughs> Um, I ended up skipping out on that meet and Robert Keller still has my check for that. He, he, he promised me, he promised me to, uh, reimburse me at, at a future meet. I never took him up on it. He, he, he thanks, he thanks everyone who skips on his meets for their donation to Florida powerlifting. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So you did a, you did a, a local meet and, um, for those that don't know, you were a nationally, your national champion and you went to worlds. Um, you want to just talk about your mentality, how, how it switched from being a local competitor to, uh, someone who was competitive on a national and an international stage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was weird because I'll say that back then nobody was really focused on, on big meets. I, I could say that confidently in raw powerlifting, nobody's really focused on big meets because, Raw Nationals had kind of just started, and before I did it, before we before we did Raw Nationals, Arian, in 2012, um, there were only a couple hundred people who would go to these meets, right? Uh, yeah. I think in 2012, there was like three or 400 people, something like that. It may have even been less than that, but I'm not... It might, I don't, might have been less. Right. Um, and then the World Championships was, I think, one year younger than than that right um but so nobody was thinking about worlds that didn't even cross my mind not once whenever i competed and so it was like you know i'm gonna go to this local meet i'm gonna see how i do um and then you know if you do well then it's like all right cool i'll just you know sign up for the next meet when's robert keller doing another one um and then we all decided to go to nationals no qualifying total needed um i don't even know did you even need to do a meet to go to raw nationals or could that even be your first meet back then i believe it was just you had to like lift the empty bar so so you had a qualifying total okay um yeah and so we would go there um and we brought the whole team because everybody there was no qualifying total needed um right we, we had a bunch of people who would go with us yeah i mean in 2012 and colleen it was i believe me you dr zordos and chris and then in 2013 we started bringing in more people i believe like mike taylor um uh Cazzoli, or what, what's his name carzoli yep 
so we had we started getting more people in 2013 especially because i was in florida um and then just local meets we started building out our, our team and doing the collegiate state championship mm-hmm. right so to answer your question uh, it was just kind of just go there and do what you could and also instagram wasn't a thing back then so we weren't really doing it for that but uh <laughs> but um but yeah and um as the meets got bigger um, I felt a little bit more pressure on myself to perform. So I do remember transitioning a little bit, um, asking externally for help. Um, we were lucky enough to have Zordos's help by default, um, since he was getting his PhD at Florida state. And so he would help the club out. And so, you know, he would do generic programming, I think team wide and maybe some specialized individualized programming. But I remember asking him, Hey, you know, how can I best get ready for this, this meet? Because um, in 2012, I, I won nationals as a junior. So 2013, I wanted to go. I, I, I aged out a junior, and I wanted to go win nationals in the Open. So he helped me out. Um, he put me on Matt Gary and Mike Tuscher's team. It was a joint SSPT-RTS team. And so I felt a little bit of pressure with these big names and being on their team. Um, and, uh, and so I you know, made sure to, um, to stick to my programming. And, uh, and then after that, when I qualified for, for worlds, I was like, shit, um, there's some big boys out there. Uh, I really got to step my game up. And, uh, and so I remember I reached out to Ben Escrow, uh, or Zordos introduced me to Ben Escrow for nutrition stuff and it didn't quite work out. Um, but, uh, you know, me and Ben, we still kind of chat to this day, but, um, I remember thinking to myself, like, I, I don't know anything. Like, I don't want to do my own programming. I don't want to do my own nutrition. Like, I, you know, I'm supposed to score points for the world team. Like, I don't want to leave that up to myself. Um, and so there was a bit of a transition there. Yeah. I know we've talked in the past, and I've, I've heard you say that uh, <clears throat> you hate competing or, or you, you don't like the anxiety of competing. Um, and I just think that's interesting because you, you were a, a pretty highly competitive powerlifter. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't feel like I'm unique in that. Who knows? Maybe I am. But yeah, I don't like competing. I honestly don't even like training. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's painful. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's always a grind for me. You know, I, I've never really found my, my piece in training. Um, I, I actually, let me modify that. I, I do find it right before meets, right? When my, when everything's dialed in and everything feels good and smooth, um, but that only lasts for a couple weeks and then, you know, do a meet and then everything goes back to garbage. But, um, but yeah, no, it, it, I, I get anxiety. My stomach is in knots the whole time. Every time I've ever competed, even after I competed at worlds, my next meet at the sunshine state championships, the local meet, I thought I would like, you know, I, I, I'm in a little pond again. I thought I'd feel, feel fine. I wouldn't feel the anxiety. No, I felt the anxiety the whole time. Um, so no, it's not enjoyable, but I understand, I, I, I like it. Um, I like doing it. I like the process of it. I like what it means for your training. I like how it organizes your training. Um, I like what it does for goal setting. Um, you know, also just the, the, the process of, um, getting your shit together and then being in a place where, you know, people are going to, um, judge you strictly. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, you know, if you're going to do, we're lucky that in this hobby, there is kind of a mechanism out there for us to, um, to use, to, to set our goals. Um, you know, if you're, if you're running, I guess you can go do a marathon 
Um, although running a race with 20,000 other people is not really the same as a, as a small powerlifting meet. Um, you know, if you like uh, playing soccer, there's always like rec leagues and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, for an individual sport, I think we're lucky to have this, um, this system out there that we have access to, um, to, to help guide our training. I think um, part of Jordan's anxiety, too, might have been like his first few meets, maybe three or four meets, he always had something going into it from what I remember. He always had like a, a big midterm or something on like that week. Or one time he like had a motorcycle accident. It was like injured going into one meet. It was always like something that like caused extra stress going into it. Uh, mm-hmm. And on top of that, then in our group, um, he was always like the strongest one. And he was the president of the club. So the expectation obviously is to perform well. First nationals, win juniors. Second nationals, win open. Um, go to worlds. Even I remember going to Worlds, um, it was originally supposed to be in Kazakhstan, and last minute it got switched <laughs> to South Africa. Right. Yeah, so, uh, I think my as, as somebody who's half Jewish, my parents were a little bit, oh, Kazakhstan. <laughs> so they, think they, they saw the movie Borat and got nervous or something. That's, but, yeah. That sounds like it should leave some anxiety. <laughs> right. Um, all right, so you've been training for... How long did you say now? Since you were 12, um, you're bound to run into injuries, and I know you've had a few. Um, do you want to just expound on those, and then uh, your mental your mental approach to dealing with them, and and maintaining interest in lifting weights and the sport as a whole? Yeah. So um, the uh, I would say I, I've had I've had regular injuries my whole life. I think I was um, I was pretty um pretty lucky most of my powerlifting career because my injuries were just you know regular um you know overuse injuries um which you're gonna get i think people make the mistake in powerlifting um where they think that you know strength training is supposed to make you healthier right it's supposed to make you so harder to kill as they say right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but then why are powerlifters always so broken right um, well, the reason why is because just like any sport, you take it to the extreme and you're, of course, you're going to have injuries, right? Little yeah. nagging overuse injuries or, um, and things like that. And so I, I had plenty of those. I had every, I had all of them. And, you know, you have little intercostal injuries where your ribs hurt for like six months. Um, you have back pain where it feels funny to sit down, knee pain. I, I had, um, you know, I, I guess self-diagnosed um, quad femoral tendonitis really bad for like a like a year, and I couldn't figure out what it was for like a year, over a year. Um, and so for a while, when I was training for meets, I couldn't sit down with my knees bent. I had to sit down with my knees straight, and that was for like over a year. I remember on the plane to South Africa, we had to get special seats because I couldn't bend my knees for too long. Um, <laughs> in the, but like you, you do the meet, and then you rest a little bit, and then it goes away, right? It's yeah. not like we have... It's not like big chronic injuries, and I think people tend to to um, dwell on those things too much. But um, but yeah, you know, you have your injuries; they're very normal. You have you have to be able to recognize the ones that are normal and abnormal, sure. But you know, you have normal injuries, and then you move on. And then I've had a couple injuries more lately as I get older and as my body is a little less robust. Um, I get more um, kind of chronic injuries. I I, I hurt my back uh, last summer, and uh, you know, I was I was doing. My deadlift was was the only lift that was going well at the time, and so I was doing some singles with 600 on deadlift. Um, and uh, before I broke the ground on my second single, um, huge shooting pain throughout my lower back. Um, and so I have some kind of like 
you know, disc issue in my lumbar spine is what I assume. I, again, I self-diagnosed, but you know, the, the, the solution to that is relatively simple. Just stop fucking around for a while. Right. Um, right. so, so I, <laughs> I stopped fucking around for a while. Um, and it, it got better relatively quickly. Um, but in the, like the first week or two, it got better pretty quickly. And then from there, it's been a very slow decrease in pain for the, for the next year. Right. And so I've been kind of working through that. Um, I really never stopped powerlifting. Maybe for like a week or two, I stopped totally. Um, I stopped deadlifting at least, um, and uh, until the pain didn't affect me on a day-to-day basis, um, and then I slowly ramped it back up. Um, and then same thing with my shoulder. So around last summer, I got a shoulder injury. Um, I, I just decreased my training volume. I played around with some different approaches to fixing it. I actually went to see PET for this one. Got some prescriptive exercises. Started ramping back up bench again. Um, got into a decent place. Shoulder hurts a little bit right now, but you know I don't know what the issue is. But this has been hurting for about a year. Um, but you know it's it's one of those things where um, it, it's not um, a critical injury. It's one of the injuries where if I stop using it, if I stop doing it, it'll go away. Um, so I got to find out the ways around it. Um, so I guess from a longevity standpoint. It's just finding those boundaries and being careful around those boundaries. Um, you know, not, I guess, not being a little dismissive of pain, right? Paying attention to that stuff, but also not making the biggest deal out of it. Um, yeah. We, before we hit the record button, we talked about, you know, tying your identity to an injured powerlifter persona, right? <laughs> you, you don't really have to do that. You can kind of just be cool about it. And, and, um, and these things usually are not life-changing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't think injuries have ever really stopped me from training for, for over 10 years. And when you were competitive, did, um, I can't remember if you said this already, but did, did your mentality or motivation take a hit from it? Or you just kind of were like, well, you know, it is what it is and I just have to deal with it. When I was competitive and, and would he get injured? Yeah. Well, I, I'm just it, asking that because I think there'd be more pressure than now where it's like, if you get injured, it doesn't, it, you know, it's yeah. pretty low stakes. Yeah. I mean, in, unless you're gunning for, you know, a world team placement, then there really is not very high stakes in right. powerlifting. I agree. But I, I think um, even back then, well, I'll say that I, I never had a catastrophic injury when I was competitive, right? Like I, I fell off a motorcycle um, once before a meet, like two weeks out from a meet, and I got bad road rash on my shoulder. Um, but, you know, I covered it up and I kept training. It didn't, didn't really stop me from, from lifting and I did the meet and everything. Um, you know, I don't know if I, um, if I felt any particular anxiety from it other than I had already paid for it and I didn't want to waste, waste my money. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, when, when you, when you, um, the, the, so it's funny when you, when you analyze the psychology of, of, of lifters and especially from a coach's perspective, um, this stuff isn't new, right? Thinking about psychology from a coaching perspective is very old and mm-hmm. they do it a lot in executive coaching and leadership assessment. And that's actually what my fiance does. And there are a lot, there is a lot of documentation on this industrial organizational psychology. There's a ton of it. And if you look at, uh, qualities, good leaders have right. Tolerance for ambiguity is at the top of the list for a good leadership, right? And good leadership and also, um, you know, just somebody who, who's a, uh, you know, a strong individual contributor as well. Um, and so tolerance for ambiguity in athletes is also very important. And if you, if you don't do well in ambiguity, if 
you have an injury and you don't necessarily know what the prognosis is, um, then you have an ambiguous prognosis, then yeah, you're probably going to be a wreck if you don't have good tolerance for ambiguity. And there are, there's, you know, some, I think some people, some, some IO psychologists who say that stuff can be taught. There's some who are a little bit more pessimistic about it. Um, mm -hmm. I think everybody agrees that it can be taught to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think personally I, I have decent tolerance for ambiguity. I think that's why in entrepreneurship I, I'm okay. I don't, I'm not a, a nervous wreck. Um, so, so in my powerlifting career, I, I've, I've been okay with injury. Um, and, uh, you know, I think my, my anxiety and injury more comes from just my general life. Like I don't want powerlifting's cool and everything, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to ruin my quality of life for it. Right. And so I will get a little anxious when I, when I hurt my back, I was a little anxious for, for a short time about if I, if I, I'm going to have to stop deadlifting. Right. Um, but then, you know, after a few days, I, I in the, the rate at which the pain subsided, I, I, the, that anxiety left pretty quickly. So you don't want to be the next Louis Simmons? Yeah. I, I, um, <laughs> I would not go down that path, personally. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, so the sport and lifting weights, uh, it's a grind. It, you, you have to come in every day, do the same thing every day. It's super monotonous. Um, it never changes if you're, if you're sport specific, right? If you're focused on powerlifting or weightlifting, um, it's, it's always the same. It, it's never going to change. There's never going to be something that comes along and changes the paradigm here. Um, and I've, I found recently in coaching at least, uh, that a lot of people, they, they can't handle this or it just, it, it becomes too much, right? They just, they've done it for a year or two years and they just straight up are bored of it. So do you, do you think that it takes a certain kind of, um, personality or mental approach to, to be in the sport for a long time? Um, or can this be, is this something that could be learned just by, you know, finding love in training or whatever cliche you want to use for that? Well, yeah, so I think that there are multiple personality types that can lead to long-term training success. I would say that, you know, the question of what is optimal, right, leads us a lot of the time as coaches to make decisions with higher specificity in training programming. Um, but what is optimal in research is usually a question that's analyzed over, you know, six to eight weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Um where if you if you take that timeline out further, um, you know, theoretically, if you have more optimal programming, you will get more done and you will get better over a longer period of time than if you had less optimal programming, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if somebody, the, the, the number one most important metric in coaching, not it's training volume, it's adherence. Adherence, yeah. Right. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> right. And so if, if adherence is high, but optimal, how optimal your training program isn't quite as high, uh -huh. um, but if, if you decrease how optimal your training program is, but adherence goes up, well, odds are there's a, lo a better long-term outcome, right? right. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a, the job of the coach to figure that out. Or even, you know, this is powerlifting, right? We're not, this isn't, uh, people don't make money doing this. 
you know, we're, a lot of the time athletes are paying 200 or 250 bucks a month for their membership plus their coaching. A lot of the times a lot less than that. Um, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, paying tens of thousands of dollars like, um, like a professional athlete. So maybe it's not, it's their job as well to figure out what works for themselves, right? Do yeah, a little yeah. bit of, of introspection and say, which kind of athlete am I? Um, you know, should I tell my coach that I should be maybe having a little bit more fun in my programming, um, or else I'm going to pull my hair out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I think in some respects, it's, it's the duty of the athlete to tell the coach because, you know, for, for, I don't know, on average remote coach gets paid, what, like a hundred bucks a month for a hundred a month. You can't be a coach and a psychologist. Right. Um, you could try, but you know, as an athlete, it's a little unfair to expect that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, if, yeah, from a coaching standpoint, I think if somebody comes to you and says it's, this is boring or you can't do it anymore. And that means making their training suboptimal but giving them something fun but yeah I, I totally agree that if they're going to do it then it's definitely better um mm -hmm. <clears throat> do you think there's anything that could be like uh taught or learned in terms of uh mentality for the long game or is it just something that like the lifter has to internally um find like love of just of just doing you know training well, I saw a good documentary once called Inception. I don't know if you guys, <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 concept there, all right, in, in that documentary was um, that an idea won't really stick, right, unless they think that they've created it, right. And as a coach, sure, you could try to incept ideas into your athlete's head, I guess. You could try to <laughs> manipulate them for their own benefit. It's a little ethically dubious, but the. <laughs> The real, the real solution to this is the athlete needs to find their own path, right? Uh -huh. And I've seen it in my years of coaching a hundred times. Somebody will start out, they'll find out about powerlifting, they'll say, this is it for me. This is, I love this so much. They put a hundred percent of their life into it, right? They change mm -hmm. their Instagram bio. Um, they create a, a, a lifting account. Um, <laughs> You know, they buy all the gear and they, they, they have all the T-shirts. Every T-shirt that they own is a powerlifting T-shirt, right? Um, which is cool. All my T-shirts are powerlifting T-shirts, right? But you see them get burnt out on it. And the reason they get burnt out is because maybe they didn't really do the soul searching in the beginning and say, this is me. Um, and maybe they really do care about the vanity of it, right? Maybe they want to look good. Maybe they, which, you know, you know, as much as I'm cynical, I think I do also have a, have a, a little bit of that as well in me. Um, but you know, if you, if, if, if you aren't sure what your own personal goals are, then, you know, maybe the grind is going to get to you and maybe you're going to start seeing some of those people outside, you know, running down wife Ave and you're going to say, uh, maybe it would be nice to join them, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, yeah, you, you, you got to figure, they got to, they got to figure out their own paths. That's interesting. I'm going to start incepting ideas into athletes' brains. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Pull a little Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> I'm going to try it on Cramsey first. He's probably the easiest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Sorry, Cramsey. <laughs> change one of the, um, uh, change one of the, the dubs in his animes. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> um, 
Aaron, do you have anything else you'd like to ask? Um, I mean, as far as um, just going back to what you said of whether it's a, some, a, a trait that they can learn, I think some of it they can because I think some of this goes beyond just powerlifting too where someone might go and get like their first high paying job and maybe they're making 50, 60, maybe a hundred thousand a year and they feel great. Like this is awesome. But then it gets monotonous and it gets boring to them. And then they realize that maybe that's not the type of job they want to do. Maybe there was something else that was more interesting that they gave up because maybe they, they didn't want to wait for an opening or maybe it wasn't as high paying. And so you get those people that have like that kind of similar thing um, in other aspects of their life. So maybe they need to do that analysis beforehand or if they're the type of person that just like can't stick to something long term, maybe that's something I need to change. They're always focusing on that short term gratification, uh, which is a lot of problems we have these days where people are just like not happy with their job or school or they're not saving any money. We're all in debt and everything like that because they're not uh, planning long term, which is what I try and try and talk to my lifters about is just focusing more on the long term not worrying about the short term like overuse injuries or this low competition that went bad or something like that um and, and on top of that also it's important maybe to take time off some of the stuff i see in other sports like for example bodybuilding sometimes bodybuilders might take a year or two off to like to one take a break maybe try out powerlifting build up their their muscular uh, development and come back but in powerlifting, it's like, oh, I always have to do this next meet and I always have to like be on top of social media of like hitting PRs at this meet or always being at nationals because these people are going to be at nationals um, and they kind of burn themselves out that way. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, I think having other other aspects of your life or, or um, just goals outside of powerlifting that, that you're you're working towards or, or take up some of your time is a useful tool um like jordan for example the tech company you know that's that's a huge goal of his um i don't know if you think that that's helped you at all maintain interest in training because you have something else that like uh not distracts you but you know something else you're working towards and and maybe training takes a back seat in the meantime and it, it becomes a little bit easier I, I don't know i'm kind of just riffing here but yeah i mean th there are times where i i was super diligent in my training and I could not wait for it to be over, right? Like I would get ready for a meet and I'd have like 12 weeks of intense training getting up to a meet. And then I was, and it, you know, you have it roughly planned out, right? Three months out from a meet, you know what you're going to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't have all the programming in front of you, but you know you're going to be doing a couple volume blocks, maybe a couple intensity blocks, right? Um, and then, you know, after that 12 weeks, personally, I, there's some people, there's some of the best athletes in the world um, you see them, they'll do a meet and then they'll go straight back into it. And it's like, I, I admire that a lot. Personally, I can't do that. Um, and so after those 12 weeks of intense training, I'd be like, I'm done. Like I'm taking a week or two off, right? I probably would get to the gym at least two times a week, maybe two or three times a week, but I wouldn't be doing, um, you know, competition style lifting. Um, I just needed it. I knew I needed it every time. And now, now that I'm not competitive, um, I mean, I did that, you know, uh, charity bench meet, but now that I'm not um, actually competitive, it's easier for me to get to the gym and it's easier for me to, uh, you know, I write my own programming, you know, as I walk up to the bar uh, every set, right? And yeah. so I, I I like that better. And so for me, that's a, that's a, a long-term approach. If I had more time, I'd probably have one of you guys program for me, but um, I'd probably just disappoint you if you did. <laughs> um right now but but um but i i know that yeah you know if i'm not if i'm not um if i'm not 
competing, it does take a little bit of that um, that stress off of the of a rig- of a rigorous schedule. Um, yeah, and then you, I guess, maybe the point I was trying to make is you, you also find satisfaction outside of lifting in in achieving goals related to your businesses or the tech company or something like that it's not just yeah. all the, the, the i guess the term would be like yeah. all your eggs in one basket or something like that right and I, and, and I agree with that and i think that there is a lot of validity to that i think it's important that people have more than one i guess creative outlet um or, or, or more than one uh hobby i think um to avoid burnout but um i mean it if, if I, um, I would say before I moved to New York, I was working an engineering job, a nine to five and open barbell at that time was a project of mine and an open source project. And I put a lot of time into that as a hobby. And, um, I still put a lot of time into training. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that, that if, if I wasn't, um, as busy as I am now with, with work, um, I'd still have a hobby and I'd, I'd still be happy, um, with my training. I'd probably would just be a lot stronger. <laughs> uh, but I, I also think it's important to say, you know, if we're talking about, I guess from, from a from a coach's perspective, right? Yeah. There's two ways we can think about this. There's the perspective that you should have if you want to coach exclusively competitive athletes, mm-hmm. right? Athletes who are doing competition, because then it's our job, maybe, um, maybe it's their job as well, but um, to make sure that they're always on an upward. Um, I guess an, an upward path in their training, right? Their their lifts are always getting better. They're always getting, they're always about to um, PR, right? Um, and, and you know, getting their adherence up in in making sure that they have a framework for long term growth. Um, I, I I think the second way to look at it is the evangelistic perspective. I I personally am more excited about getting non competitive people into powerlifting just because of how um, you know, sorry for the pun, powerful, this t- style of exercises, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, strength training is, it's such a good way to get healthy and it's such a good way to adopt long-term fitness goals, um, for any body type and any, any, any person out there. Um, and so if we're trying to bring those people in, we're, we're not talking about people who are high school or college athletes, right? We're mm-hmm. not talking about people who even give a shit about doing well in a competitive environment. Um, so how do we get those people to have long-term success? Right. And if we're, if we're focusing on that, um, well then, you know, screw specificity. Who, who cares, right? right? These people don't need to be getting, um, you know, better competition lifts, uh, you know, two to three times a year. Um, just how do we keep them strength training forever? And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough now because CrossFit is not really known for its longevity. Um, and there is no similar thing in real strength training, right? There's no, there's no national movement for pure, you know, um, I guess evidence-based strength training. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we do that? It's kind of an interesting question. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think strength training and powerlifting, you know, it's a, if you drew a Venn diagram, they, it's a pretty big cross-sectional area. And I think for a lot of people who are just coming to it, um, you can make a lot of progress really quick. And I have one, one, one dude that I've been training since 
the first time he touched a barbell. And from then to now, which is about a year and a half, you know, he's made a ton of progress. No interest in, in competing or anything like that. He just wants to train and uh, get stronger. And I can see in him, and, you know, this is only one person, but he he made a lot of progress really quick, and he continues to make progress. And uh, you could just tell he loves he loves that measure, right? He loves saying, like, wow, look, I just did, you know, whatever weight for however many reps, and I can only do that for, like, two a year ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I do think it, it's really powerful. Like, that that for a motivational tool is really powerful. It doesn't work for everybody, but... Right. As, yeah. a, as, a, as a motivational tool, it's really powerful. Seeing those numbers go up it, psychologically, I think, is huge. Um, you know, also the benefits that you get from strength training are enormous. You know, just the, the metabolic conditioning that you put your body through. You know, it's the American dream to be able to eat whatever you want, right? And a lot of powerlifters, <laughs> if they train enough, you know, a lot of them eat three, four, five thousand calories a day at maintenance, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, why is it that this is not more mainstream already? You know? Like, I feel like you should, if you ran one TV commercial saying, you know, hey, come train with us and I'll let you eat a lot more and you won't get fat, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, that great, should be the great thing. marketing tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that and also back pain, right? People have back pain. I've been really busy the past few weeks. My back pain is starting to get worse because I, I haven't been sticking to my, you know, um, once a week squat and, and deadlifts. Um, and, uh, and that, and that's, that's me and, and I'm, and I'm active people who are inactive. A lot of them ha- have back pain just from, from not being able to put up to the, to the rigors of daily life, you know, just bending down to, you know, pick up your cat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, you lifting weights make the, makes the qual their quality of life so much better. And if that person was to go outside and slam their feet against the ground 5,000 times, um, as exercise, no fucking way they're going to keep doing that. Right. And yeah. so it's like we have we have this 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 exercise methodology that's so powerful and it could help so many people. Um, and so yeah, how, how do we how do we get those people into it? And how do we get them to keep doing it? Just give them pizza while they lift. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the old Jordan's plan of one fitness simple trick. trick. <laughs> that would yeah. get that would get that would get me in the door. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's uh, that's something that you see with the the masters lifters is um, just being able to do more like daily activities with less pain or maybe be able to do more daily activities period they're like oh well my 70 year old friend can't even like yeah pick up a, a box off the ground but they're over there like deadlifting 135 or 185 or whatever um so that they they get more involved that way and enjoy it and also just like learning something new um yeah you know they say like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks but like you have these 50 60 70 80 year olds learning how to back squat and bench press and deadlift and and use dumbbells maybe if they never used them before and do all these other activities um, that gets their motivation built up and gets them like more of a buy-in. Yeah. I mean, I, I have friends in my age group that throw their backs out trying to move boxes and shit who don't lift. And, you know, we're only in our thirties and early forties. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a huge benefit that could get people in the door, but I don't, I don't know how, uh, how to apply it. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. You, you learn if you ever, if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to sell a product, you learn that the last thing you do to sell the product is make a list of reasons why you should buy it, right? Like you say, number one, um, it, it will make you uh, make make your back hurt less. You know, number two, you will be able to eat more food. Number three, um, <laughs> you know, you'll be able to you know pick up your kids more. It's, it's like people hear that shit and they're like, okay, I'm reading another list, right? Yeah. Um, 
they they want you you know they want you to they want to feel emotions right you have to evoke some sort of emotional um attachment to this thing or to this product um so yeah it's always something i've struggled with somebody who's more of a pragmatic person is like you know how how instead of just telling these people the concrete you know benefits like how, how can i get these people to to understand that they should they should be doing this thing most people most people will think it's bullshit anyway if you tell them that they could eat 4000 calories a day and and not gain weight right they're not going to they're not going to believe you even people in the sport you tell them that or people have been lifting weights for a little bit of time and they they, just, they don't even believe right. it you know it's hard yeah, to convince I, them of it i got a woman once who started with me she she lost a lot of weight um and she started with me because she heard of strength training. And um, she was eating 900 calories a day. She was tracking religiously, eating 900 calories a day when she got to me. And I told her, I was like, over the next six to nine months, I want you to increase your calories slowly, right? Because she was really good with tracking, so I could do this with her. I was like, I don't know, try like 100 calories a month or something. And at the end of that year, she had lost like 10 pounds. She was jacked. I mean, yeah. like she got... She got jacked in, in about a year because she, you know, she was a, a, an ectomorph, right? She, she was able to put on weight. I think that's the right one. Ectomorph. Yeah. Um, no, me, mesomorph. Mesomorph. She was the big, she was the bigger one, right? No, endo, um, endomorph is the big endomorph. one. Yeah. Okay. Endomorph. Right. So she was able to, 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 to retain body mass easily. Right. So she put on muscle, put on muscle quickly. Um, and she, her calories went to uh, like 2200 or something. And, and she was still, she said she was still kind of losing weight. That was a little bit below maintenance. And that was in about a year. It's like, it's crazy um, what you can do. Uh, yeah. So do do you have any goals left in training or you just kind of cruising for now? Do I have any goals in training? Um, well, do you want to, you ever want to compete again? I know everybody in this gym would love to see you on the platform. The last time I did a full power meet, uh, a 1600, the, the, the national champion had a 1606 total at 183 pounds. Yeah. Um, Josh Hyduke, right? Yeah. That was mm-hmm. the current national champion at my last full power meet. Now I think, uh, we got eight, 800 kilo totals at 74 that are coming yeah. up. I think I was going to hit that soon. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, I have personal goals, but I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm ever going to, aspire to to um knock russ russ wall off the list um but uh but yeah i mean I, I would love to hit um uh uh a 550 squat um uh 440 bench and a 650 deadlift in the same meet i would love to do that that's like a lifetime goal to get to that um and that would be like a what is that like a 12 1600 1650-ish total something like that yeah that'd be, that'd be nice that'd be cool cool i, I was gonna ask what what's the most you've done in in each lift like competition or gym yeah i, I had a 550 gym squat 440 touch and go bench in the gym and then 625 pull but it was pretty pretty smooth so i essentially just want to be the best version of each of my lifts at the same time that would in, be nice in the competition in the competition yeah yeah, I've heard you say that you don't want to compete unless you know you can beat your well, total. That's been my that's been my my philosophy for a long time. And that's a philosophy that I encourage other people to, to adopt, which is, you know, do a meet to, to hit a PR. You know, if you, if you feel like you're about to hit a PR, 
then um, sign up for meat, right? If you don't hit it, big, not a big deal. Just, but that, that that's how I like to think about it. I don't, I don't know why I would compete unless I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to hit a PR, unless I'm again, you know, one of the top three, and you're trying to, you're trying to achieve something. Um, but now it's like, you know, it's been so long, and I, I, I want to get back into it. Like, I, I you know, uh, I think modest goals. If I can squat 500, bench 400, and deadlift 600, I would do a meet. Okay. 2020. Let's make it happen. Or, 2069. Or- or maybe we'll see. Uh, yeah, that's it. You're, you're disqualified. You're banned. I guess maybe Jordan will stay in hiding until he's a master's lifter and come take a bench record. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. The problem is all, all these people who are my age who are destroying world records are going to get older too. <laughs> yeah, but they'll be done in a year or two since they quit. Yeah, good point. <laughs> you, just just make your goal to outbench Atwood. Just, just, yeah, my. My goal is to just be whatever body weight it takes to out total that wood. What one twenty plus? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go to one twenty plus, <laughs> total three times body weight. It could be a goal just to get Jordan to two hundred <laughs> pounds. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Get him over two hundred pounds. Good luck. <laughs> There's not enough peanut butter and jelly in the world for that. Just add a hundred calories of sugar to like his drink every single month. I don't yeah, see him right. anymore. I can't control his food anymore. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's not gotten better since his new office. We don't, we don't, we don't have a bodega upstairs, so. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, you got anything else, Arian? I think that's pretty, pretty hearty uh, episode. Yeah, just close it up. But what else is uh, coming up? I know you mentioned Rep 1 a little bit, Jordan, but do you want to explain, like, some of the timeline on that coming forward? Yeah. Yeah, so um, a, a lot of things are moving on Rep 1. Um, we're at a stage now where we're getting our first production prototypes soon. Production prototypes meaning things that we can actually make on a production line. Um, and so they're coming off. Uh, those, those will be in the shop soon, maybe in the next couple of weeks, um, which is really cool. Then once we do some some evaluation on those units, that'll, that'll really kind of elucidate our timeline a little bit better. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll be able to put up some content around those working versions very soon, um, and maybe even get some beta units into the hands of some people who are eager, eagerly anticipating them um, in the next coming couple of months. But, um, but yeah, we're still on track for a, a December late December ship date. Um, so hopefully in uh, in the spring, um, whoever's listening will see Rep One pop up everywhere and people's lifting videos. Um, maybe see other people talking about them. Um, you can go to rep1strength.com, pre-order now. Um, we still have, uh, we have a back order. Um, so if you order now, you're going to probably get your shipment in a couple months after we start shipping in late December. Um, but the longer you wait, the longer that back order is. I don't know if you mentioned that at the beginning or not, but how many have you sold so far? Oh, man, it's, it's hard to say. We have a few different channels, but um, hundreds. We're, we're, you know, I don't know, four or five hundred, something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, as l- we, we hit the number that we need to get this thing made, right? And so um, we're getting it made, and then we're going to make these. Unlike Open Barbell, they will be continuously produced. And so um, after the back order is through, maybe midway through spring, um, you'll be able to buy them on the website, and it'll arrive in a couple of days. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm pretty psyched on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the next thing for you and me, Joe, is uh, Raw Nationals. Yeah, that is coming up very quick. Should be good. We have, uh, I think I'm coaching five 
five people, and then I'm helping you with Sarah. So pretty good yeah. roster. Yeah, and I should have a uh, 11, so that puts us at 16 total. So pretty decent amount for uh, five days. Yeah, yeah. All, What's all the nationals at? 1,200, 1,300? 12, I think. Yeah, something like 1,300. They they took in all the entries at the deadline, and now they're going through and like, checking some qualifying totals. So obviously some people aren't qualified. Some people have already dropped out. So we'll see what the final number is. The last three years, the number of people that competed has been around 1,065. So we'll see dude, if we dude, make 1,100 competing. They raise the totals and then somehow get more entries. Well, the, Insane. The, the thing is, you're you're basing your qualifying totals off of previous numbers. So people get stronger. People are coming in the sport, and people are qualifying to regionals. Um, with it being in Chicago, uh, there seems to be a lot of people from Wisconsin, like the high school powerlifting uh, crew, coming down there to uh, compete. So a lot of factors. Yeah, should be cool. I'm pretty hyped on it. Yeah, once they um, once they put out the prime time and and there's no more weight class changes, and then we'll do a uh, raw nationals preview. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yep. Atwood Atwood's just gonna win everything. <laughs> just pick Atwood for a weight class. <laughs> all, all weight classes, all divisions. It's just Atwood. He, he's on my he's on my fantasy powerlifting team for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Atwood, we got him coming in on Saturday for uh, SNS University. Yeah, so that, yeah. being that a lot of the listeners here are SNS members, SNS University will soon be online. We're shooting for, for getting that up soon, um, which means all the courses will be available for people who don't just live in Brooklyn. Um, but Atwood's coming in. He's going to be our first guest speaker. And no, I think this is second. Cause we well, Clinton. Yeah, Clinton, I feel like, is, uh, is part of the crew. But, he's basically, he's uh, basically in-house. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but yeah, Atwood is is our second guest speaker, um, first from outside of uh, the gym. Although he used to technically be a gym member, um, and uh, yeah, it should be cool. I've never seen him speak before. Um, I, I haven't heard of him speaking much. I don't know if this is his first one, um, but it's it's got to be up there. And so, um, I think it's something to definitely something to attend. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll. Have, I actually think he's talking about motivation too. So, um, <laughs> kind of ties in with what we talked about today should be good cool. yeah cool all right well i guess we'll uh see you guys next episode thanks jordan appreciate it thanks guys good talking to you all right adios Bye.